there is not as much luck and opportunity in certain places as others. And so I was looking to see how could you balance that? Because the more you balance that, the more you can change this over time and not continue to have the sort of systemic biases that we've had in the past. Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons. Hello, Creating Community for Good podcast listeners. I'm so thrilled that you've tuned in to join me today. This is Lindsay, your host. In this episode, I bring Alana Karen, the author of Adventures of Women in Tech, How We Got Here and Why We Stay. She's a 20-year vet at Google. She's the director of search platforms, and she's also a founding member of Enrich, a private network for business leaders. What I love about this conversation is that we really talk about what does it mean to be an authentic leader and why is that relevant and important for women in tech and for the tech community at large. Tech gets a really bad rap in philanthropy, and that's really why I wanted to talk to her. She and I met as board members for a nonprofit in the area, which I've mentioned many times on this show called Build. And the reason that I wanted to talk to her was because I want to demonstrate how donors are thinking, how tech individuals and tech leaders are thinking about their contributions to society through their work, but also through their volunteership and how there might be a merging of those two fields. So this is a behind the scenes look into some of the head and heart of technology leadership. It's a fireside style chat. We talk a little bit about where she came from, what her career and personal stories are, and then how she's thinking about her contributions as a human being, as a parent, as an author, as a tech leader, and then ultimately as one who's hoping to create community for good is my hope in this podcast effort to have a podcast talking about inspiring, involving, and growing together and unveiling some of the mysteries around donor intentions, around human motivations, and and how we can all make the world a little bit better one step at a time. So that's why I've got Alana on here. I find it a really enjoyable and casual conversation or chat. So take a walk and listen, tune in, let me know what you think. I'm always open to hearing feedback about what you'd like to hear more of and what kind of guests you'd like to talk or hear from and continue to evolve and grow together. Thank you so much. Here we go. Hey, Alana, thank you so much for joining Creating Community for Good podcast today. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so let's dive right in. You've got a new book out, and I'm really excited to hear about that, The Adventures of Women in Tech, how we got here, and why we stay. But really, I want to know first, tell me your story, your origin story. I know that you've had a long path with Google, and will you just frame your background for the the listeners? Sure, absolutely. Okay, going back a little earlier than that, I went to college and I got my BA in history. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in New Jersey. And then I went to University of Virginia. And I was always more of an arts and science, like a arts, creative writing, history buff. But along the way, I became interested in the internet and web design. 
And so I started to self-teach myself HTML, learn a little JavaScript. Yeah, as you do when you're learning about art and as literature. You do. <laughs> as you do. I'd always been a little bit like, my dad had introduced me to computers early on. So I've been fairly fluent. And I think that just kind of led to it. The seeds were there. But the original interest was kind of artsy. I liked the yeah. fact that you could like instantly change colors and make these beautiful websites. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. Like that visual simulation creation. Visual. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And a new way to present information too. Yeah. And so that's what led me down the road to this tech career, which was I started off doing webmaster work and then I joined startups and was really sort of entry level. At Google, I joined in 2001 and I was reviewing and approving ads and answering customer email, you know, just <laughs> the fanciest yeah. work. And it was startup time and we had to figure out how to make new policies. And I took that on as a project and that ended up becoming a 10-year career where I built oh out a goodness. team building out new policies and maintaining those for ads and other products. And then I moved on to Google Fiber, our ultra-fast broadband product, built out customer service and installs for them. Really great experience because I, I like to say it's the first time in my career I knew what I was doing. Because those first 10 years, I was just riding a rocket ship learning. I would figure out like five years after I had a team what I should be doing with them. Yeah, right. So it was really good to apply something and actually feel like I was doing it right from the start. And then, you know, that, that, that team went through different stages and I've ended up now in search in program management and again, totally different, but all united by operations and even going back, how you present information and how you mm. get things done. So that's my career. That's your career story. And so what's your personal story? And you've shared a little bit in... I forget what tech conference it was, but it was something like Women in Tech where you presented about your desire to share more stories. I just remember this graph where you were saying, so here's my career skyrocketing. And then there were some highs and some lows as I was growing. And you know, it's always interesting to hear about legacy tech and individuals who have been part of the industry for, you've been there for two decades. But then alongside of that, you're like, yeah, but then what about all the conversations that were happening in the back of the room or in the bathroom or, you know, between women. And I was really compelled by what you were saying about like, I just want to get real. I want to stop giving you inspirational quotes and telling you these are the three things to be successful, but I want to have real conversations and pull back the curtains. So I want to do that with you. I love that you're leading in that way. What does it mean to be real as a leader, as a woman in tech, as a community member? Yeah, it's so funny because a lot of times when people talk to me, they're like, you're so authentic. <laughs> and like, to me, you know, the, a few years ago, maybe like five, 10 years ago, everyone started talking about bringing your whole self to work. And it was really funny because then I think in the last few years, we sort of regretted that. We're like, maybe not. <laughs> maybe <laughs> we wanted not. you to keep some of that at home. <laughs> but to me, that was that was natural, right? I'm, I'm kind of this goofy, funny person. <laughs> I want everyone to be having a good time. Me too. I, I sort of spout off personal stories without thinking about it. Like, you know, you have to filter some content, obviously. <laughs> But I'm very comfortable with that. I, I am an introvert, actually. This is are you? This doesn't relate surprising. to like where I get my energy from. It's more about this desire to connect with people. 
And actually, introverts really like to connect with people. They don't like to connect with crowds of people. Right. <laughs> like to connect with individuals and have right. real conversations. And so I think it is related, but I think it also just was how I liked connecting with people was, okay, fine, we're here to do a job together, but what is going on in our lives that's maybe more interesting than even Mm. the fact that we have to like edit this spreadsheet today? Like, let's make this fun. And when I was thinking about how it applied, you were hinting sort of at this to the, the women in tech equation and what we're sharing and what we're not sharing. What I was seeing was that often you were getting these sound bites about you know, women from the tippy top, how mm. they got to where they were, or you know, really terrible stories about the women struggling. But we were sort of missing the middle, mm. right? Like, how are we navigating? How are we making it through challenging careers in tech? How are we having lives outside of the office? How do we do all of that? And I was really interested in that. And sort of the stuff that you you do get to if you're like sitting at a conference at a dinner table with someone might not be what's presented on the main stage. Yeah. And I was interested in bringing that forward and saying, there is all of this stuff that is how we're navigating and it's legitimate. Like this yeah. is real stuff. And the stories that we tell to each other need more airtime because they are what will make the rest of us feel like we belong. Mm-hmm. And that we're normal, right? Like this is what's happening. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that's, I di- I really dove into that in the last couple of years for sure. Yeah, I love that. It's really important. I was having a conversation last night with some of my friends, a few women talking about miscarriages, talking about marriages, talking about failed marriages, talking about, you know, looking for promotions and figuring out, do I talk about being pregnant? Do I not? And all of these things that are happening sort of at that middle stage of life for for men and women, but in particular women around our, you know, changes and, you know, if we're making babies or not in our personal lives and how important it is to stay quiet and, you know, perceived to be quiet, you know, how important it is to not talk about being pregnant because you don't want to be seen as having a disadvantage or not being able to be fully present or having shifted priorities. But then the reality is like, that's the human who's behind all of the work. And can we normalize it? Like, can we bring it to the front to a place where it's not only normalized or accepted, but it's also celebrated and embraced. And there's still a place in the workspace for women who are also bringing life into the world. How did you manage that? You've got three kiddos. What's your thought on how do you navigate? Well, I don't, I don't know if I am. Moments? I don't know if I am managing it. My husband and I were just having a conversation. I'm, I'm like, the house is so messy. Yeah. And his response was like, I think everyone with three kids would have yeah. a messy house. And I'm yes. like, I'm not comparing <laughs> myself to other people. I would like a neat house, you know? Like, <laughs> so yeah. I don't know that you can really necessarily, I, I do think we're putting a lot of pressure on ourselves to somehow look Pinterest perfect <laughs> or the way photos show beautiful homes. Like, you know, All of that stuff, everybody had to clean up before they took those photos. (laughs) Like most people don't live that way day to day. And in fact, if I were to turn my computer around, you would see that I'm amongst mess. And this is the only spot. (laughs) Like I am very intentionally in this spot. Yeah. And so I think that part of it has been embracing early on that I wasn't going to take on that other stuff. 
whether it was other people's expectations or those stories that people tell. I didn't even join yeah. Facebook until a couple years ago. Oh, like, really? Just, That's interesting. Why would you even join a few years ago? I feel like everybody's moved up in the last few years. Oh, first of all, that is the story of my life. <laughs> but secondly, I wanted to support my husband who was doing something. Oh, yeah. And and I couldn't, you know, like every time you would have to be like, look what I just posted. And I'd be like, thumbs up, like offline. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so I finally got online. The tech queen. Yeah, well, it is really funny. Like, I mean, I joined tech a long time ago, but I, I do feel a little old fashioned. Yeah. You know? I, and I make a joke out of it. I'm like, should we get on the internet today? Yeah. You know, should I post to the Facebook? But I do think like the pace of all of this is so fast that we don't always take in how it's impacting our mindset. Yeah. And if we're even on LinkedIn, which I find to be a really supportive community, yeah. if you're getting a constant stream of other people's promotions, other people's yeah. speaking engagements, other people's articles that they post, mm-hmm. you can internalize that. And so I think yeah. early on, I had to just be like, no, no, no. And I still have to gut check every once in a while. Like, why do I feel jealous if I don't even want that person's job? Like, what's yeah. going on, human head? Stop yes. doing that. And so this, real. I get that. At the same time, I've just had to accept life's in phases, right? Yeah. I've got three kids right now, and the oldest is in middle school. Youngest will start kindergarten next year. And so realistically, I'm shaping my life around that. And that doesn't mean that I won't work hard, but it also means I probably won't work around the clock. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that I couldn't write a book. I did but I was fitting it in on weekends and holidays. And so there's a push and pull to that and knowing it and deciding very strategically each year, like, this is what I will do. And this is what I won't do. And that doesn't mean I'll never do it. It's just not the year for that. Right. I think a lot of us have felt like whatever our plans were in early 2020, we adapted them. Yes. But I would say we should be doing that every year. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. every year we should be thinking through what does this look like? What can I reasonably do? And there's a reason I didn't write this book until I don't, I didn't even have the idea for the book or the brain space for the book until my youngest was maybe three or four and really sleeping well. So therefore I was sleeping well, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's just the reality of it. Yeah. Well, I was just speaking with Jen Risher, who's awesome influencer in terms of trying to figure out how to talk about awkward conversations, especially around wealth. And she joined Microsoft early on in her, you know, early in her career as well. And she said she, she was working on her book, We Need to Talk, for 14 years. So how many years have you been sort of planning on or hoping to write until you finally did finish writing The Adventures of Women in Tech and how we got here and why we stay? So the book itself took a year and a half. And I think that that's one of those things where people listen to that. And first of all, if you've never written a book, you might think that's long. Sounds very short. Sounds overwhelming and daunting. I'm impressed already. But yeah, uh, tell me more. Like, how long have you been dreaming about it? But I think that the incubation of yeah, it was right. a lot longer. And it wasn't necessarily that I even thought 20 years ago, I want to write a book about this. But I knew early on, like when I was in high school, I wrote a lot. In college, I wrote a lot. I wanted to be a published writer for a long time. Oh, interesting. And it was more, I think that I didn't know. I, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I'd be like, what do I have enough to write about for a book? People would tell me I should have a blog. And I'm like, why? What would I say? 
like every day or every like week. Like I have no idea. And so I think it took me a while to find the vein Mm. that I could tap that made sense for this content that interested me that I thought would be valuable to others. Mm-hmm. And the journey towards the book started actually with me thinking a couple years ago about my career mm. and knowing that I was sitting 18 years at Google and thinking about, well, what's my next phase? Mm. Not necessarily that I was going to leave Google, but more if careers are in phases, what do I think that I haven't been able to do that I want to still do? What kind of would my next phase look like? And that's mm. when. I retapped into this desire to write and I started to post more to LinkedIn about what I learned along the years at Google, the performance feedback I received mm. and what I took away from all of that. And that's what ultimately led me to the idea last year for the book. And once I had the idea for the book, it was very galvanizing. The table of contents poured out. It mm. stayed the same which usually you have to change later on. But like, it was like really for 20 years, I'd been collecting this thing. Oh, wow. And I knew what I wanted. But then I did have to really power through. I interviewed 80 women in the span of like five months. So there was a lot of me being like, okay, this is what my evenings are. Yeah. For this period of time. And I'm going to take time that maybe I would usually spend on other things, whether it's fun or whether it was work that I would have done in the evenings Mm -hmm. and instead devote it to this. But I will say that once I had that idea and that structure, it came together and it came Mm -hmm. together quite quickly. I think I also felt once I had the idea, a real pressure to bring this to life. Mm -hmm. Every day I saw women who just didn't feel like they belonged or women who were taking 10 years, 20 years to feel that. And so once I had this idea, I I just felt extreme pressure to bring Mm. it to life. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to read it. It's coming out in December. Is that right? So it is available on ebook now. I linked to the places you can find it, alanakaren.com, but it's on Amazon. So you can get it as ebook now, but yes, it will be out on Audible soon and it will be hardcover December 1st. Awesome. I love listening to books on Audible. I'm like big on just going for walks and listening to books or when I drive down to my sisters. I love that. So I'm glad to hear that. So what's the best story that you heard? Can you distill one? Oh my goodness. The best story that I heard. Putting you on the spot here. (laughs) You really are. Oh my gosh. There were so many good ones. I think the ones that I found super interesting were... The ones that made me really say that really helps me understand how different we come into this world. And I'll I'll, I'll give an example. So I would be talking to women in their 40s or 50s, and they were Black women, and they would talk about how their career had been shaped, their early career in particular, by their parents' experience in Jim Crow South Mm. or just two generations before. And it was really very interesting to think about, oh, you come into that thinking that you don't belong. You're not going to instantly just 
be like, oh, I could be a people manager or I could be a leader or whatever it is. And so a lot of those stories were just like real aha moments for me. Not that I hadn't kind of understood it, but the story, when you hear someone say like, my mom grew up in Jim Crow South and she would say to me all the time, you can't do that. Or, you know, don't think that you can go get that job. You know, you'll never be allowed to have that job. Why don't you go get that safer job? And you think about how that inculcates in the person's mindset or a woman who would say to me, now I'm expected to speak up and challenge authority. But in my Asian home, that was not okay. And just think about like all of those different intersections Mm. that we're all bringing into it. I found the story is like really rich and interesting Mm. and surprising, right? Like it didn't even necessarily, I gave examples of race, but you could be sitting across from someone who you think is just like you Mm -hmm. and, and, and be wowed by just something where, oh, because they were small, I'm a small person. They felt like they couldn't speak up in a room. And, you know, it just, just come in with that different perspective. I don't know that I have one. That's okay. It was a tough question, but I like that you shared some of your favorite concepts. It's really coming from a place of understanding deeper, like the fabric of a human and all the layers that make them who they are when they show up at any given moment. You did a really cool exercise with me as a member of the what was it? I can't remember if it was, no, it wasn't board. So it was just leadership team for build Bay area, build.org. And you have been a longtime supporter as have I, and you facilitated a training when we were in the beginning of a, a new cycle and had new leadership in the room. Do you remember the exercise that you walked us through where there were quadrants that we would draw? Yes. So yes. help me remember if you can, I remember one quadrant was here's what people think about me. And then the other one is how I see myself. And then another one was, you should come to me because I'm good at X, Y, and Z or for this reason at work. And what was the last? I don't know. I feel like I'm sort of making this up as I go, but it was something in that spirit. Do you remember that? The last one was a little bit about like, and I'm not going to get this right either, but it was like, something I fear, I don't like, something yeah. I need help on. Maybe yeah, something I need help something with. I, need help I think on. that was what it was. And it was, you were making a shield to share your identity, but to some degree, because you were doing it as a team, understand how those team identities would intersect and think about the team identity too. Yeah, right. and I had done it at work and I'd offered it up as part of my Bay Area board responsibilities. Uh, to come and do with that, with the team as you all were forming and, and build for context of the listeners. It helps high school students who would normally be at risk of dropping out because they're at risk groups uh, stay in school and matriculate to college. And it's all done through this really interesting entrepreneurship program. And I was very interested in that intersection of people who wouldn't otherwise get this kind of help or curriculum and how we could give them that little bit of luck, right? If they weren't born with like parents who've been to college and think about that, how could we give them that little piece of it and plant that seed and help them through it? 
And so as this leadership team, I thought it was really important that you similarly think through those things. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot again. What would you say is something that people think about you versus how you really feel? So if you were to do that exercise, people, how do people perceive you? And what do you think is true or false about that perception? Well, I think there's a couple things. I think people who, who know me really well or who know my background at work, they feel very much like I've been at Google almost 19 years now. I should be able to do anything, say anything, get away with anything, right? I should be able to like, I don't know, be this like amazing leader that gets any job. Like often people will say to me like, oh, you could get any job. You could do anything. And I'm like, I don't think that's necessarily true. Like I I still think that there are things that I'm better suited at than other things. There's things that I like doing more than other things. And all of that has shaped where I am. I've actually been a director at Google for a long time. I haven't gotten to VP yet. And in part, that's because, I don't know, I don't really love managing humongous teams. Yeah. I like these niche, interesting roles. But at the same time, I think that often people see me as, over the years, as far more capable than I've seen myself. Interesting. And they've wanted me to be more ambitious. And I have been a little bit like, oh, no, but I'm still learning here and I'm still building skills. And frankly, I'm already more successful than I thought I'd been when I was growing up without a lot of money. And I'm not sure what I want next. And so there's been this interesting, I feel like divergence between almost where people would like me to be mm. and where I saw myself. Mm-hmm. And I see it playing out interestingly now where I think people are finally like, oh yeah, she's out there sharing her voice at conferences and writing this book. And it's it's where I've always wanted to see her. So I feel like I'm finally matching what yeah. people thought I should be doing. That's but so it, interesting. It took me longer. And I don't think I always thought of myself that way. But there is an interesting separate thing, which is like, I'm a 5'1 woman, kind of small, sort of non-threatening at first. And I think I've continually surprised people throughout my career. Like I've had to each time go into a room of people and prove that I was in fact smart, that I was a leader, that I had power. And and it was just not like, you know, I'm not a six foot tall man. They didn't just assume. And, And so I think that's an interesting other side of it where some people have thought like, I should be president of everything. And other people have like, doubted my abilities and I'm somewhere in between just being like, yeah. hey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just me actually. Could you please yeah, bring a label on me? Pretty pretty great. And I shouldn't have to convince all of you that I'm great. And on the <laughs> other hand, all of you like calm down a little bit. I'm getting there. I don't know that I'm there yet. <laughs> <laughs> so have you found that external pressure or impression or how people hold you in their mind's eye, has that become something that inspires you or oppresses you? I could imagine a couple of scenarios that that could play out. In some ways you say, I'm so grateful that other people see me in this high light that I didn't even myself envision. So it helps me to see a path and I'm going to step into it. On the other hand, you might have an experience where you feel like, there's so much pressure for me to be the one to fulfill their dreams. And, and how could I ever do that? And, and why, you know, I feel like it's not ever good enough. The bar keeps getting higher. 
do you resonate with either of those or both of those or it's how does that real, land? It's a real mix. I think that what I'm always trying to really refocus on is being true to myself. Mm. And so I've never felt that I had to fulfill their dream. People were always being really nice. It wasn't necessarily like I felt truly burdened. They they wanted me to know that they thought that I had valuable leadership skills or other things to pass on to people. And I felt honored and, and very flattered by that. But I think that I needed to see my way through it and do it my way. I didn't want to just get up and do conferences and say like, here's three things I learned while I was at Google. And I know it just didn't seem that interesting to me. It didn't seem that valuable. And so I had to figure out what's the unique angle that I'm taking when I get up and I do these things. Why am I taking up people's time? And mm-hmm. I think that other people would have been like, no, we'd love that other talk. You know, like they would have been fine with it. But for me, it was always figuring out what in it is really authentic and valuable to me. And Mm -hmm. so I think that that was really the journey I had to go on. I didn't know what I wanted to write about at first. I finally got this idea of, oh, well, what's unique about me is that I've had 17 years of performance feedback from Google. And we did it every six months. So I can really chart my career through the pros and cons of what I got in those reviews. And when I had that idea, that's how I started to be able to write on LinkedIn. But before that, people had been telling me like, oh, you're a great leader. You should share how to be a great leader. And I just didn't click with it yet. I needed something else. And so I think that was more of it was finding, just like I said earlier, I don't want to live other people's lives. I don't want to try to copy their Pinterest or, you know, the Pinterest parties, their Facebook photos or whatever. I want my life. And what does that look like? I think that was really the tension I felt. Yeah, I love that. So how do you show up when you're thinking about community? What does community mean to you? What do you bring to it? And how are you trying to really create community with your book or with your leadership or with your personal life? Yeah, I think it's just an interesting question, right? We really need community right now. And I probably haven't been thoughtful enough about, now that you asked me this question, I'm like, have I been thoughtful enough about this? How do I create community? But I think what I've always been watching out for at work and in personal life is connection, Mm. right? Like for me, community isn't just that you've brought a bunch of people together. It's how those people are connecting. And Mm. for instance, during this year where you can't be in person together, how are we providing those opportunities for connection? So mm-hmm. in a recent team meeting, I just was like, hey, let's just spend some time sharing recent stories with each other. Yeah. And anyone popcorn style can decide if they want to share a story, but let's just chat it through and connect, right? Because it can be lonely in this world where we're just sitting with our computers. And if all we're doing is going from meeting to meeting where we talk about mm-hmm. business stuff, yeah. We're not really connecting and we start to feel that. So in every community, I'm looking for those opportunities. Is it sharing stories? Is it sharing challenges? Is it just having moments where we talk about our kids mm-hmm. or, you know, our dogs? 
not everyone has kids. So you also have to make sure like, as you're creating these moments for connection, you're not unconsciously creating moments where other people don't feel like they belong. Yeah. Um, And so I think there is like that thing that you have to watch out for, but how can you do this and, Mm. and make it a possibility for people and do it in different formats. So if people don't like talking in front of other people, they could just share something in the chat screen on the side or just know that by listening, they enjoy hearing that stuff and feeling less alone and and sharing some commonality with those stories. So I think that's really what I'm always thinking about is really connection in underneath the reason Mm -hmm. for these communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In your day-to-day too, just fully immersed, it sounds like. So how do you see philanthropy tying into that? I know you've supported various organizations, especially our shared love of build. How do you prioritize and support those communities? I think that my initial seed on philanthropy was that having grown up without a lot of money, but having a family who really focused on education, I felt that I had been actually pretty fortunate because the focus on education gave me a road towards better career opportunities down the mm-hmm. road. Mm-hmm. And so, especially when I was looking for a board opportunity, I was really looking for a place where I felt like I could offer that in some way, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that push, that nudge, that opportunity, that piece of luck, that you might otherwise not have had to help change what's going on in our society where intentionally or unintentionally, we've built a self-sustaining system to marginalize certain people because the luck and opportunity is percent-wise more available in the already existing affluent areas. And you might otherwise really have to fight and then we fall into exceptionalism because we'll be like, oh, look, that person can get out of the ghetto. So it's just about, it's just about desire and those people don't have desire. Mm -hmm. And we can tell ourselves that and it's not accurate, right? Mm -hmm. There is not as much luck and opportunity in certain places as others. And so I was looking to see Mm -hmm. how could you balance that? Because the more you balance that, the more you can change this over time and not continue to have the sort of systemic biases that we've had in the past. And I was already looking for that before this year when we really started to pay attention to systemic biases. But I think now that we've fallen into this year, I've been thinking much more intentionally about things Mm. like mortgages. Just a little side note. During all of this, we were renewing a mortgage, renegotiating a mortgage. Refinancing. Thank you. Refinancing. Yes, yes. Thank you. Fridays, I lose all words. That's all good. And we were refinancing. And I consider us fairly like we, we don't have any like weird black marks on our record. I consider us fairly trustworthy, all of this type of stuff. And we still had to fill out a pile of papers about this high yeah. and give like 70 million different kinds of proof. And before I had always thought about this as just a super inefficient, right? Like I'm yeah. tech. Like, yeah. how can we optimize this process, people? Like totally. why, is it, why is it this much paper? Why are these this many signatures? Like, yeah. it's like whoa. This time I was I was holding the paper and I was like, how much racism is in here? 
Yeah. How much is in here just to keep certain people out? And we've yeah. never thought about it. Yeah. And so I think for the first time, not first time, but as a continuation, I guess, yeah. I'm really starting to think about certain areas and how I could start to influence those areas in what I do, whether it's philanthropically or with a broader focus in my life. Mm-hmm. Because I do, I really, I think, I think all of my philanthropic stuff has been how can I change this? Because I don't like this. Mm-hmm. And it could have been so easy to be born in different circumstances and still not have money, right? And and I really want to change that up for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. You're making me think of this awesome organization called Money Think. And what they're doing is trying to take out all of that paperwork and the confusion of applying to colleges and then looking at their grants. So it's targeting low-income students who are Pell eligible, which is for assistance from the government. And they have the application to the school, then they get in, they get their award letters, and then figuring out how much will I have in debt after I graduate? What loans are available to me now? What grants are available without having to pay them back? How about work-study And the idea is the same as what you said, you know, there's stacks and stacks of paper and people don't know how to, nobody, adults have a hard time interpreting those, let alone 17 and 18 year olds. And, you know, if they don't have financial literacy or a sense because the school doesn't provide it, how are they supposed to know whether they should go to school A or B or C other than what reputation it has or how close it is to home or what other factors go into it? Well, so many students are really crippled by debt and they're not really given the tools to figure out, well, what does it mean for me in the long term? What does it mean for me to budget for the next semester, let alone what will I project in the next five years? So they've got the same technology as what you would use for digital banking. So like if you have a check that comes in your mail, you open up your Bank of America, you take a picture of it, and suddenly it's in your bank, right? So it's the same concept, that same technology for the scholarships, the award letters, and so on, everything I just outlined. And I thought that was a really cool way to see tech for good. Have you heard of any other organizations like that? Or what's your thought on that? Yes. I mean, all of that. And and we can talk for another hour about about school loans and how they impact or trap people for the next 50 years of their lives. But on the other hand, if you don't get one, This is the difference between you being able to go to school and have meaningfully higher salaries down the road. And this is a major gotcha point, right? Along with high school dropouts, this is a major gotcha point. And my mom actually worked for a period of time in college administration in the loan office. And she would have to travel around and try to educate the community about these because it is this alien process, especially if you are a first time in your family college applicant. You've got no one who can help you understand how to fill out these papers. And there's already a ton also that just can work against you in this system. Say your mother remarried, but you have no access to what your stepfather's income is. He's not going to give you any. It still counts against you in the process. Right. There are a bunch of businesses now. I was actually just looking through the other night, a whole bunch of Black-owned businesses to see what they were doing in this space. And there are a bunch that are saying, okay, we'll give you these loans. We don't look at what your parents make. You know, here, we're we're helping you understand and do repayment. 
And so a bunch of them, you, you know, like I actually would have to send you names later. Yeah. Send me, send me some links. We'll put them on the show notes. Along with This is an an area that I think all of us should be thinking about more spreading the word on and to the extent that Mm -hmm. we can help help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And you know, something that I loved, and I'm not sure where you said this, but you said, I want to flood the system to change the system. Let's help each other. So that's, oh, yeah. totally. that's I mean, kind of like the same spirit. I love same that. spirit, same spirit. You know, I, there's so many places where you're the only one in the room, or it's easy for them to not the them, the just mysterious them, to not promote the one woman the one black man, the whatever in the room, because there's nine other majority in the room. It gets harder and harder if there's five of us there and you keep ignoring us. Yeah. Right. If there's five out of the 10. And so, yeah, I'm totally into figuring out if you walk into that college engineering classroom and there's only five women out of a hundred, go back to your dorm and get all the girls and show back up. Right. Yes. like, let's not let that keep daunting us. Let's flood the system. And over time, it's going to change. I love that. So what gives you hope, Elena, as we start thinking about the future? What inspires you? I think it's a, just a really interesting time right now. And I know it's really uncertain and scary, but I feel like it's the first time in my life where we're really seeing the lack the negatives in our society and how they impact all of us. And especially with COVID, looking at the fundamental systems of our society, mm-hmm. health, education, medical, mm-hmm. and seeing the shortfalls. Yeah. And I think that that's really inspirational, even if some of us aren't getting it. This is what current college students are seeing. Mm-hmm. And there are next, not that I'm putting it all on the youth, we, we still have to do something, yeah. but I'm just saying like, they're forming their opinions and getting their ideas right now while right. this is happening. And they're here working for the next 60 years. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's, that's, I'm interested in that. And I, yeah. I, I, I find a lot of hope in that. I think there's going to be a lot of great ideas, just like the last 20 to 30 years of college graduates were growing up in the age of tech. And when I was in college, tech was just coming and we were all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed about it. Now there's all these people saying like, hey, look at all this stuff that doesn't work. Yeah. And and what can we do about it? I find that we very inspiring. Find it. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I hear what you're saying. Alana, anything else that I didn't ask you that you'd like to share? No, I think just... I'm at alanacaron.com. You can send me feedback there. I'm also on social media like LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. And I'd love to hear from you all. Feedback is always great. And yeah, and recommendations and organizations I should look at or opportunities I should think about just in terms of ways to help change the system. Yes, I love it. Thank you for offering that. And we'll include all of that in our show notes. So all the links, whatever you have, to share about how to reach you, but also some of the research that you've been doing. And I'll share some too. And I can't wait to share this with the world. Thank you so much for your time and insights and your leadership. I appreciate you, Alana. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Creating Community for Good podcast. If you like what you heard, let me know. Send me a message on LinkedIn 
or write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If you're curious about a topic or you'd like to be a guest, let's connect. Go to www.creatingcommunityforgood.com. In there, you will see all of the podcast episodes with beautifully written show notes and hyperlinks to everything that we've discussed. Thank you and shine on. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com to leave a review as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.